Hello, welcome to the Be Prepared podcast, a training podcast for Girl Scouts of Western Ohio volunteers. I'm Jennifer Parker, and today's episode is about conflict resolution and how to navigate the conflict confidently as a volunteer. We've all been there. We've all experienced a mental struggle resulting in incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands. The need to be different, opposed, or contradictory, to fail to be in agreement or accord. I have two guests here today to share their experiences on dealing with conflict. Alice Young Pasora, Director of Education with the International Peace Museum located in Dayton, and Hilary Robnick, Volunteer Human Resources Manager with Girl Scouts of Western Ohio. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thank you. Hi. So, quick introductory question. Alice, what's your favorite self-care activity? My favorite? Favorite self-care activity would be walking and talking with a friend, like hiking or being outside. Definitely that. It's like therapy and friendship all at the same time. Yeah, this is great. You, you took what I was going to say. So, <laughs> um, I'm a horse girl by nature, so uh, they're my passion. And I, so I love going to visit the horses and or going for a walk or a hike with my dog. It's just being outside is very soothing for me. Me well, too. Well, great. That's great. Um, we're at the Peace Museum today here in Dayton. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, Alice, and the history? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the building we're in now is actually a new building. Um, the museum started in 2004. It was started by uh, five people, Christine and Ralph Dull, Fred Arment, Steve Freiberg, and Lisa Walters. Um, so Christine and Ralph were leaving. They were on a road trip coming back from the United Nations, and they were having a conversation about their commitment to peace in the Miami Valley. As they were driving past Wright Pat Air Force Base, they thought, you know, there's a big monument to the military and, and essentially to war. And we are thinking why how Dayton should have a museum dedicated to transforming our culture of violence into a culture of peace. So from that conversation that they had, they recruited a few other people and um, they started the International Peace Museum in Dayton. Um, the Dayton Peace Accords were signed in Dayton at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in 1995, ending a war in Bosnia. And so because of that, um, they thought Dayton was the perfect place to start this movement. So our new building that we're in now um, is 5,000 square feet. We've got a stage. We're sitting in our podcast studio right now. We've got a conference room, and we've got a giant room devoted to temporary exhibits. Um, right now we have an art exhibit up. The last one we had was um, photographs. And then next month we're going to have um, a woman named Michelle Colburn who does crochets out of tripwire from wars and so she stitches each stitch for somebody that was lost in that war and so her stuff's going to be here on display so we're really looking forward to that that's so fascinating what else happens here at the museum so the museum offers as i said we have a stage so we have performances we have music we've had poetry readings we have speakers we have a book club we've got art activities that we do we've had campers we've had YMC camp, YMCA camps, we've had church camps. Um, it's available for rentals, either for just the conference room or the big space. We're looking to have a coffee shop coming in, and we have a really great 
just a great environment to come hang out, grab a cup of coffee, do open up your computer, grab a book from our, our library, and make yourself at home here. And um, we're kind of considering ourselves almost less of a museum and more of like a gathering space. I think museum implies past, but what we are is very present and future focused. Um, our mission statement is actually to inspire people to work for greater peace and compassion through education and collaboration. So, you know, in this space, we can have all sorts of people come in in different organizations where we share ideas and we look to the future and try to solve the problems that we feel are most imminent. And I know in the center of the museum, you have a peace pole. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Ooh, yeah, this is one of my favorite things. Um, so the Peace Pole is a community art project that was started by Bing Davis, Tess Little, and Tristan Cup, three really amazing Dayton-based artists. And um, they had the idea to, to kind of pay tribute to the Sunwatch Village and the patterns that they put on their pottery that are the oldest in the area. And so based on that, they went with the theme of pattern. And um, at every gathering that we had where we were going to paint, the first thing we did was ask people, what what is peace? And um, it was interesting to find out how many people just had to sit there and think about, like, how do I summarize what peace means to me? And um, so people had to write down either a short sentence or one word or something, like what, what gives them peace or what is peace or what brings peace. And um, as a result, they sort of took that statement or word or whatever it was and translated that into their painting. So everybody painted a block of wood and um, from all over Dayton and even from all over the world because we had people visiting from really all over the world. And so um, people painted and they painted what their version or piece and kind of visualized through pattern is. And so we have this beautiful peace pole in the middle of our museum um, that each little tile has a story. Yeah, if you get a chance to come check it out, it's really beautiful. Mm. Yes, that's cool. So really the opposite of peace is conflict. Um, and part of dealing with conflict is knowing about social emotional learning. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how your position as the executive director of education at the International Peace Museum um, kind of integrates with that? Absolutely. Um, I kind of feel like social emotional learning is like the foundation of what we do here on some level. Um, it's defined technically as the process of developing self-awareness, self-control, and interpersonal skills that are vital for school, work, and life success. Um, that's sort of the textbook definition, but kind of the way I look at, at it is if the scenario I, that comes to my mind is if I say I'm a student and I come to school and I'm tired and my head's down or, you know, or even as a teacher and I'm seeing my student with the head down and you know, just kind of like, instead of getting mad at the student and saying, sit up, you know, pay attention, like maybe the better idea would be to go over, talk to the student and say, what's going on? Are you okay? And, you know, or maybe not just in a public setting, but to find out um, what actually is going on. Like maybe that student's parents were up fighting all night and, um, or maybe their dog died or maybe their grandparents are sick or, you know, but just to find out why 
maybe your knee-jerk reaction is to think like, oh, they're being disrespectful or they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing instead of realizing that they may be struggling. So for me, um, you know, I really believe that we all have sort of cycles of trauma in our lives. And, you know, you can either look inward and, and try to fix those and with therapy or with just like friendships or reading or whatever that is, spirituality. Um, but if, if we don't heal our own trauma or at least be able to identify it and when it's coming out, we're going to pass it on. And I, I think of wars starting that way. And, you know, somebody gets upset. And instead of sitting down, you have a conflict. And instead of sitting down and talking about it, you immediately retaliate. And um, that brings more conflict. Instead of figuring out what's the source of the conflict and why do I feel this way. And social-emotional learning is really just having an awareness, like an innate awareness of your emotions. And... Um, and knowing why I'm grumpy or why I'm angry and um, maybe it triggers something. You know, maybe if I have an abusive childhood, it would trigger something in that where I feel, you know, shamed or disrespected or, or my feelings are hurt. And so I think if we all could develop an, a, an understanding of how we feel, I think a lot of the conflicts would resolve. Um, sometimes it's fear and sometimes it's pride and... So social emotional learning is literally just learning about your emotions and knowing when they're going to erupt and sneak out in weird ways. And um, I think it's something that we all have to deal with as just humans on this planet. Knowing more about social emotional learning, how can our volunteers take this knowledge now to help them better work with girls in their troops? You know, I, my first thought uh, is like a check-in. You know, when you, everybody gets together at the meeting and, and maybe go around the room and talk about or do the buddy system to have people check in with each other. And um, just so if you know, like, the same scenario, like, what if they had a really terrible school day and then they bring that with them to their troop meeting? Um, that could trickle in. And maybe their sense of humor isn't as strong as it is. Or maybe they can't take a joke because they're feeling extra sensitive. And then they react. And then it snowballs. I think a lot of conflict could be avoided by checking in and, and seeing where people are at before you maybe, you know, do the activity of the day and just finding out how people are. That's really good advice. So did you know that there are multiple ways that people deal with conflict? According to two researchers, Thomas and Kilman, we can identify five conflict handling styles. There's the competing, collaborating, avoiding, accommodating, and compromising. So to illustrate these styles, the researchers selected specific animals because various personality traits can be represented in a more balanced strengths and weakness framework that way. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about those. Mm -hmm. So there's the competitive shark. Um, do it my way or not at all is what they say. This is a typical attitude of a shark. Sharks use a forcing or competing style to achieve their goals. They need to win, therefore others must lose. This style may be appropriate for emergencies when you need a quick, decisive action and people are aware of and support the approach or when unpopular decisions need to be implemented. Next, we have the collaborative owl. My preference is, what's your choice? <laughs> Owls use collaborative or problem-confronting conflict management style. Owls value their goals and relationships. 
The advantage of this strategy is that relationships are maintained because both sides get what they want and negative feelings are eliminated. On the other hand, this takes a great deal of time and effort to synthesize everyone's ideas. We have the avoiding turtle. Conflict? What conflict? Turtles avoid withdrawal, deny, or delay conflicts. They would rather hide or ignore conflict than resolve it. This leads to them being a little bit more uncooperative or unassertive. This is often appropriate when the issue is trivial or the relationship is insignificant. Sometimes it can be effective when the atmosphere is emotionally charged and you need to create some space. Now we have the accommodating teddy bear. Whatever you say. Teddy bears use soothing or accommodating conflict management styles with emphasis on human relationship. They agree and flatter because they have the need to please everyone involved. Therefore, teddy bears often neglect their own desired outcomes to satisfy those of others. There is an element of self-sacrifice. It's good to use this when it's really you don't care about the issue or when you realize you were wrong and the other party had the better solution. And finally, we have the compromising fox. I'll give you this if you give me that. Foxes use compromising conflict management style. Individuals who use this approach are concerned about the goals of relationships. They have a strategy of a little something for everyone. They tend to find mutually acceptable solutions that partially satisfy both parties. Compromising is suitable to use in situations when complex issues have no clear solution and when people in conflict have equally important solutions. So Hillary, how can understanding that people deal with things differently result in solution towards different conflicts? Well, I think, you know, knowing yourself, kind of as Alice already talked about, um, and knowing how you handle conflict helps you prepare and tailor that conversation when you have to go in and have that hard conversation. Um, but also kind of a flip side to this, I always think, you know, everybody has different personalities, everyone has different conflict management styles, you're going to have to have hard conversations with a variety of people. Um, so I think there's a, also a couple of key things that you have to know about yourself going in. So one, the emotional intelligence side, which Alice, you were talking, I was like, you're hitting it right on the head. Mm -hmm. um, you have to know yourself. So you have to know your triggers. You have to know, um, you know, whether you've had a bad day or not. So is today really the best day to go in and have this hard conversation? Can it be rescheduled for another day? Um, but if not, because life is life and sometimes we don't get the chance to reschedule mm -hmm. our, our hard conversations. Um, so I think the key thing to remember in any kind of conflict situation is one to remain calm. It's a skill. It's not something that naturally comes to a lot of people, especially in a difficult situation. So you do have to work on it, but if we can remain calm, um, it allows us to be better active listeners rather than those people that just listen to respond. Um, it also helps with our nonverbal communication to remain calm uh, because I, what do they say nonverbal communication is like 70% of communication or something of that nature. Um, so it helps you, your body language, speak and say that you are remaining calm in the situation, which will help get us to that solution. And then you also, in a lot of conflicts and difficult conversations, you want to remain focused on the actions and the behaviors of that other person um, and how they made you feel. And you want to be really careful that you don't attack that person's personality or their self. You want to just stick to those actions. And that'll also help get to that solution at the end of the day. Um, 
And then, of course, as I said before, these are all skills, so you do have to work on them. They're not just going to come naturally to most people. Most people shy away from conflict and hard conversations, which I understand. Um, so you just have to you know, continuously keep improving those skills as you go along. Thanks for sharing. I didn't think of a lot of those things that way before. So Alice, how do you think social media plays into conflict between people, and what's your best advice about dealing with social media? Wow, I think social media is a blessing and a curse. I think, you know, it's connected people all over the world and it's, you know, spread good news and, you know, sad news quickly so people could respond. But unfortunately, I find that the way people use it to just say things that they would never think to say to somebody's face is is very hurtful. Um and I think it's, you know, destroyed communities on some level. I think it's destroyed friendships on some level. And I know that cyberbullying is nothing to ignore. Um, my advice, quote unquote, on this would be treat others the way you want to be treated, whether you're behind a keyboard or looking somebody in the eye. And if you wouldn't want somebody to say that about you, don't say it about them. And I mean, that's what I tell my kids. That's what my grandmother told me. You know, it's just kind of rules to live by. And I think that some people really feel emboldened by being anonymous. And um, it isn't really anonymous, though, because a lot of the time we know who's saying it. And when you see that person on the street, it's hard to greet them with the same cheery smile as, you know, maybe if you know that they had just said something mean about you online. And so treat others the way you want to be treated. And that's, that's all I got. I agree completely. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So Hillary, does Girl Scouts of Western Ohio have a social media policy? Uh, yes, actually, we just added it into our new edition of Volunteer Essentials. I believe it's on page 22. Okay. And we, our MARCOM team came at it from, you know, the Girl Scout law. So you can go in and read that. It, it basically follows the Girl Scout law and things to keep in mind when you are, you know, representing Girl Scouts of Western Ohio on, on social media. Awesome. And what's the most important thing troop leaders need to remember when using social media? Um, I think what Alice said actually is, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. Um, because once it's out there, it is out there. And so we all have to remember the Girl Scout promise and law and uh, be kind to everybody. Great. So Alice, what are techniques to use in mediation for navigating conflict between two individuals? Well, again, you know, I'm sort of going to repeat just, uh, I think when well, actually, what Hillary said, you know, I was going to say, you know, check in and at the beginning of a meeting and find out what's happening with with kids and um, and adults. And then you could maybe avoid some of that conflict. But if you can't avoid the conflict, because maybe even the the Girl Scouts came in after having a conflict at school. And so it was something that happened there. And so they're bringing that into the troop meeting um, or even a, between two troop leaders. You know, that could be a conflict that happened elsewhere. But um, I think one of the things that I really like is uh, something called restorative justice. And that is if you have a pretty significant incident or, or emotional or physical or some kind of injury that happened, um, you pretty much go and have a, a, one of those difficult conversations that Hillary was talking about. And um, 
so make the person who maybe you know did the offense I guess we'll call it in this situation give them an awareness to what was done and um, how that person was hurt and or whatever it was that was hurt and also have an empathy like have a discussion so maybe the person that was hurt can have some empathy towards the person that did the hurting because chances are past harm may have, you know, I mean, we've all, again, it's, it's having that awareness of your emotions and your past and what are your triggers. And, you know, pretty much pretty, I, I'm pretty certain that there was some sort of past trauma that probably happened to the person who did the harm. But the thing about um, restorative justice is that you have that conversation and you don't just stop at a conversation. Um, so the next step would be that this person, um, you go through sort of like a moderating process where you have a mediator in between you and it could be the troop leader or it could be the teacher or what a counselor or whatever. And you have the conversation like, this is how I felt. And and listen, you know, do the active listening and not just mumble and I'm sorry and then be done with it, but to actually understand why that hurt somebody. And then, you know, you have sort of a dialogue again about what can we do to make this better. And so it's not just a one and done, I'm sorry, that's it. But you really, you know, it builds empathy on both sides. And um, so I think restorative justice is one of the things that, whatever you want to call it, you know, but it, it's it's something that is, I think, pretty useful. Um, I've seen it used in schools, and I know that it, it's pretty effective often. If used, you know, again, I think Hillary made a good point where you don't say, you're a bully, you say what you did made me feel like you were bullying me. So you talk about the actions and your emotions, but not pointing the finger and labeling somebody as mean, or you could say your words were mean and they hurt me, but not you are mean. Sounds good. I think restorative justice could be really helpful for our troop leaders. Do you have any other mediation techniques that you would use, Hillary? Um, I think of just general mediation meetings that you have, you know, you want to go in and always, I think, set the expectations or set the ground rules at the start of the meeting. Yeah. Um, I mean, for uh, for Girl Scouts, that's definitely, we're going to follow the Girl Scout promise and law during this meeting. Um, you know, we're going to hear this person speak fully. We're not going to interrupt. And then, you know, everybody else will have a chance to talk. So you want to just set that up front um, just so it's clear and, you know, there's no, you know, um, questions as to how it's going to go. And then I, I like the kind of the repeat back. So somebody outlines, you know, the, the, the issue that they have and how they feel. And then I always try to then kind of paraphrase it back. Mm -hmm. So, and that just helps to make sure that there is a clear understanding as to what that person is feeling. Um, you do have to be a little careful because you don't want to come across as condescending by any means. Um, but it's just a good to make sure that they're all parties involved have the same understanding because a lot of times that's where the mistake is, is that people just have a different understanding of, of the issue. So, yeah, those are my two. Yeah, so re recap the, yeah. the conversation mm -hmm. to make sure that everybody understands that mm -hmm. this sounds good. We've been at the Peace Museum today and we've really enjoyed our time here. If some of our troops want to get involved or come and visit or maybe work with you to do some badge work, how would they, how would they do that? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for asking me, and um, I'm really happy that you're here, and it's our inaugural uh, use of our podcast studio, so congratulations on mm -hmm. that, for being a part of that. Um, 
I would love to have troops come here. Uh, what we you would do if you wanted to come, uh, you would go to our website, and it's peace.museum. That's it. <laughs> Just peace.museum. And you will click on contact, and then you're going to click on schedule a tour. Even though it's not necessarily a tour, a tour would be involved in it. But also, um, I what will happen is you'll fill out a form, and then it'll get directed to me, and I will reach directly out to one of the whoever got in contact. So... And then we can kind of go and figure out like what your badge needs are and how we can meet those needs. I think there's a lot of you know different opportunities here that that we would love to help with. Well, thanks. I'm sure our troops will love being able to connect with you and getting some of that badge requirements done. As we're closing out, um, thank you again for having us. And Alice, what would your favorite tip be for our volunteers for navigating conflict confidently? Gosh. Um, well, a couple things like stay flexible. You're never, whatever you expect to happen probably won't happen. <laughs> um, so, you know, don't shy away from difficult discussions and, you know, and, and don't, don't shy away from asking for help if you need it. Well, thank you. And Hillary, how about you? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, uh, you know, from my experience uh, within Girl Scouts, I would say talk directly with the person involved yeah. and not... Not email, not text, not social media, yeah. uh, either ideally face-to-face -face mm -hmm. or pick up the phone and have that conversation because so much gets lost in translation in the written word and we, we, we put our emotions uh, a lot of times behind mm -hmm. somebody else's written word and that might not be the intent. So if you get into a situation where you, and you know, you just feel like this is probably a conversation I'd better to have uh, in person, it would be better to have in person. It's probably right. Trust your gut there. Pick up that, <laughs> pick up that phone, or, or set up a meeting to go and talk to that person. And then, I also see issues occur actually due to a lack of communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no one really necessarily. It might be annoying, but no one really gets in trouble for communicating too much. So at least <laughs> at Girl Scouts, yeah. um, I would say, you know. Send up those follow-up emails after troop meetings. Um, you know, nothing should be a secret. And communicate, especially around, you know, events, upcoming things, and in particular finances as well. Um, and just, you know, make sure that the communication's there so there are no questions about anything. So I love the face-to-face. -face. Like, yeah. that is so important. Yeah. Because, yes. I mean, you really do lose, like, the tone of voice or the the body language you can't mm -hmm. see it in a text so you don't really know how somebody's feeling until you can look them in the eye and you know it really helps good, good yeah good idea so I think we know that dealing with conflict can be a difficult situation so we hope that we've given you some advice today that helps you navigate that confidently um, as we've mentioned several times that we always refer back to the Girl Scout law so I thought maybe I would recite that for you here so our Girl Scout law is I will do my best to be honest and fair friendly and helpful, considerate and caring, courageous and strong, and responsible for what I say and do, and to respect myself and others, respect authority, use resources wisely, make the world a better place, and be a sister to every Girl Scout. Nice so, job. Thank you. I did it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Memorized it and everything. So um, I want to just, again, say thank you for listening. If you want more information on conflict resolution, you consider checking out GSUSA's Resilient, Ready, and Strong Patch Program and GSUSA's Mental Health Wellness 101 on GSLearn. If you need additional support navigating through conflict, please reach out to your community development manager.
Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe and give us five-star rating. And then tune in next month to celebrate our founder, Juliet Gordon-Lowe, as we learn more about her birthplace and her. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.